Hello, I'm the Paisley Print author, and here are some words from my face, and also from my book, You Built the Humans. This is a short story called On Vanity. Sulky storyteller slides silky into some stupid soliloquy on silence and violence, slams down hardbacks and breaks his spine, pours print-out Polaroids of pretty press manager Polly. She's on holiday, again. She pushes hardbacks on humpbacks and he can't get a text back. She's too proper for his love to prosper. Somewhere some intern is likely eviscerating his emails for her, balancing back his boring bookish banter. Polly might never see the poems, and maybe it's better that way. Weeks later, our witless writer arrives his way into the cloister of the convention centre, closes in on crafty conmen and claws his way through crowds of crappy creatives. Everyone has a logo. Everyone has sick stickers, twats, a lot of them. Everyone has a whiteboard and charts and anecdotes, but nobody has a clue. And of course, some sickly-looking socialite is here again, doing a speech on subtext and meta-narrative, all the while hinting that something here isn't quite right. The witless writer doesn't notice, because he's witless, in case you haven't noticed. Later, he checks the tables for business cards in the same way you might check your friend for lumps. Here, chiseled cheapskates and vanity vixens vie for vile stories and victimhood. Ogle oozing prose that nobody else would take. They'll print anything for you. And for an extra 600, they'll pretend to edit it. The stupid storyteller is smitten. He's eyeing one vanity vixen as she's eyeing his trousers, looking for the lump of his wallet like it's some vital artery she needs to tear out. Around them, the chiseled cheapskates chant and chitter, promising to promote this fuckwit twit on Twitter. Somehow, someone who imagined an entire universe with its own languages and cultures that hate each other for entirely pointless superficial reasons, just like the real world, can't comprehend that this grand scam plan is a scam. Give us two grand, they say. Two grand and we'll print five and a half copies of your book and tell your family you weren't a complete waste of resources when you die. I'll cry at your funeral, the Vanity Vixen says. Real big globular tears like I'm in space or a movie or something. She minds holding the giant globular tears, jiggling them, then smiles sexily somehow, like an alligator in a weird cartoon. The chiselled cheapskate smirks slyly beside her, and of course the stupid storyteller throws his wallet at them and squeals giddily. This is the end of his part of the story, for he is about to starve to death in a fort made of his own unedited, unloved and unsold novels, refusing to pulp them. He will never skin his stories of skimpy impish elves. The dragon's head book cover returns to the publisher like, well, a dragon's head. No, he will fortify himself behind the bricks of broken promises, his own name misspelled several times and the chapters out of order, though somehow making more sense that way. Back in the convention centre in the real world, on the fringes, poets who look like marketing interns interview interns who look like poets, and in turn the interns turn point to a conveniently placed urn and say, look, that's the last proper poet. I watched him burn. Look at how shiny my hair is. Look at all the awards I've earned. Look at me. Please look at me. Look at me now. Sci-fi Stevie watches wincingly as one particular irritating intern turns and holds aloft a little golden author, kissing it on its little golden mouth and other places. Of course, none of this means anything, but it means everything to them. 
Sci-fi Stevie thinks of saying something clever, but doesn't. Instead, she presses a pile of prehistoric paper wax towards her unimpressed boyfriend. He's only here because she's here. She's only here because she's not got a real job, whatever one of those is. If I ever find out, I'll probably write another book about it and tell you. In truth, Sci-Fi Stevie deserves better. And for some reason, you're here too. You bump into someone and they give you the third degree, but really you did this to yourself. You just love the burn of academic exercise, the excitement of appearing in essays and papers, the illusion that you're going somewhere when really you're just eating supermarket sandwiches and not moving for days at a time and wondering why you're getting fat. You used the campus running track once, but only to fondle someone at a safe distance from the prying eyes of your flatmates. Later, there's an announcement. Somehow, between this paragraph and the last, you managed to submit something to somewhere and won a thing. So up you go, up to the stage. Go on, there's a stage now, don't be shy. It's right over there next to the other metaphors. The intern is there. He says he loved your work and has always loved your work, but you only met him five minutes ago and back then he knew nothing about you. Apparently he really liked a thing you wrote for a blog you haven't heard of, but you can't admit that because the ceremony is already over and he's already brought you a drink. You're already explaining how fast you got the ideas to write the things down because you didn't even write them. That's just how fast these things go. None of it makes sense. You wonder if he secretly fancies you or if he just acts like this with everyone who he thinks might be useful to him or if he secretly fancies everyone. But none of this matters. You want a thing. You phone home, tell them you're off. That you're going to a retreat. Oh, what a treat. And weeks later, you're by the lakes, listening to someone you've never heard of, talking about how they've never heard of you. And of course they haven't, because you haven't heard of their 10-step plan for success. That's in their best-selling book, and that definitely has more than 10 steps. In fact, it probably has a DVD supplement that you have to buy separately, with money you steal from your gran. You get a little room and a bathroom and a bed and some paper and a pen. Tomorrow you'll be taken downstairs and then back up the side of the pyramid scheme. They'll teach you to stick to goals that don't suit you. Later they'll shape you into a miniature version of themselves in the same way you might make a little person out of cold porridge if we had completely lost your fucking mind. Back home, you remember the exercises. Browse the bookshelves of the local shops for inspiration. It's all tomes to tombs and torturers, poems to plague ground pariahs. Have you been here before? It's all dead kids and sad kids. Siblings slapped senseless by shitty step-parents right by the salads in the sodding supermarket. There's a queue for Quiche by, for the latest book about a bruised and beaten boy. A gruesome fight by the gluten-free aisle for the latest cash-grab girl. There's murder by the mayo, rapes beside the recipe books. It's clear to you that this world has a fetish for kiddie fiddle fiction, and it's sickening. And you wish you had gone to a proper bookshop instead, not the fucking supermarket. Somewhere where people don't consciously decide which type of psychological torment goes best with the expensive crackers. But in case you haven't noticed, when you were off on your magical retreat, the interns turned against each other, churned up a mighty storm and turned into something somehow more unpleasant. And then a big robot kicked all the bookstores into a fine powder. And then the businessman or something snorted it all up while laughing on his throne of poet bones. I don't know, to be honest. I wasn't paying attention. I was at the bar. That's what the open mics are saying anyway. There's a poem in here somewhere. Tweeze it free like the parasite it is. Go on, take it. I can't be bothered. There's a man on his knees by the cheese. He's holding a hardback and chanting madly to himself. 
Now he lifts it, and you see the author photo on the back matches him perfectly. It's Tinfoil Tim, everyone's favourite lunatic. He waves his hasty heart back around like someone wanting to be arrested for public indecency. The words, who probed the humans, flopping about like, well, you know. It's all a plan, he says. A plan to grind you down and pump you with sadness. They put the cheese by the true crime, he says. Laugh as you die of grief, cheese, obesity. Then write another novel about your death and sell it by a slightly different type of cheese. He thinks the crackers with pepper and chilli go better with celebrity sob stories. Points you to his favourite bereavement brie. I've always wanted to take a page burner to a Bunsen burner, he said. Braise the praise, he says. I completely fill that line up. I'm going to carry on anyway. I don't care if it doesn't make culinary sense, he says. It sounds good. I will take a page turner to a Bunsen burner. They'll have me. Cr they'll have me grilled or. <laughs> they'll have me grilled or killed for the truth I've spilled. But it's all a cheesy cartoon scheme schemed up by some pointlessly scantily clad schemer who dreams of becoming a scheming dreamer. Truly, there is no distinction between distinguished dialogue and deceptive and overly descriptive dead dog diatribes now. It's all blended together like those hot dogs you find next to the novels about serial killers. The best way to hide a body is in a sausage. Nobody ever checks the sausages. It's the best way. Always has been, Tim Paul Tim says. You've got to listen. They put the kids in the sausages. They put people in the sausages. Good people turned into sausages. Put this book right down, right now, and check your sausages, please. I beg of you. Tinfoil Tim suddenly falls silent and sneaks away to the biscuit aisle. The irritating intern has returned and he's got something to tell you. He says, The world's got a hard-on for hardbacks with hardly any content, but the idea of an idea being had sells better than the idea itself. He says every action movie kills an animal because we're used to seeing dead people. Dead people mean nothing to us. Horses are farmed in far-flung forests just to be fired upon on camera then shot again off camera once they're done. New industries will rise as people train their pets to play dead on an industrial scale. If you're not one of those people, you may as well be nobody at all. So give me your life savings. I can print pixelated pictures of you, praising your poetry wherever I go, which is usually the doctors and the canal, to get rid of the body of poetry every time the fucker comes back to life. Yeah, babe, your poem is ugly. Real ugly. And you're emotionally attached to it, so you're ugly too. But just on the inside, so you're not allowed to be offended. Nobody cares what their inner self looks like. But you and your poem are a hideously conjoined thing. So give me your time and I'll patch it up. I'll tell you it's nice when it isn't. I'll make you feel good, he says. You'll never find anyone else. Stay with me with your ugly poems, please. Nobody else will want to look at them. Nobody else will want to read them. Even I don't want to be caught holding your book outside, but sure... I'll publish it. It's all oddly reminiscent of something an ex once said. And some of it might be true. But at the end of the day, it shouldn't be said. And anyway, you'll be happier alone. So you take a block of cheese in your hand and raise it high, hitting the irritating intern. He falls in slow motion as the yellowing tiles open up to swallow him. And now the earth itself shows its teeth. For a second, you think that you can see the root of all evil down there. It's actually a tree root with a villainous moustache drawn on, but it was just a shadow. Maybe all of this can be recycled into a story someday, if you can make sense of it. 
you look around for Tim Fortem, but he's gone. And that was one of 15 poetic, ranty stories from Who Built the Humans, which can be read in almost any order. It's a choose-your-own-adventure-style narrative, which I've once experimented with as a stand-up set before the pandemic hit, and the government told me I wasn't allowed to go outside anymore, which was a bit unfair, really, because I'd only recently stopped being an introvert. Anyway, um, to the one person that listens to my podcasts, if there's a facility where you can comment, I'd appreciate it if you utilise that to do anything you want. Talk about your own book, insult me, insult my family. Just boost the algorithm, tickle the algorithm a little bit. I could do with the help. Thank you for listening. I've been Philip Carter, and you have been possibly not Philip Carter, possibly somebody else. And whoever that is, congratulations on being an individual. Goodbye, and have a good day.